Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Amen. Please take your seats. Folk, um, we've been going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and today uh, we invited uh, Dr. Mick Stringer to come and do the concluding sermon on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so really my privilege to be able to to welcome uh, Mick and his wife Pam to us uh, this morning. Uh, I heard him speak last night, uh, and you will not find a better teaching uh, on this passage, I was going to say in the world, but let me say in the world. Um, it, it is a solid uh, teaching, and, and so welcome, Mick, and thank you for blessing us. Uh, thank you. Good morning, Kirby. Uh, can I um, follow on and say exactly the same as what Kathy just said? It's really good to be back in a full church and back amongst family and friends. Um, I enjoy coming to Kublup, if you you haven't gathered that. Um, We've just sang uh, that we're going to call upon the Lord. Let's call upon the Lord right now and say, Lord Jesus, please be present in our midst and teach us. Show us the things that you want us to know. Help us to understand your word. Help us to imbibe your word. Help that word to change our lives. As Peter said, this is the concluding message for the sermon series, The Way. Over the past eight weeks, uh, Mount Pleasant's been working their way through teaching of Jesus in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And his words are recorded from that sermon in Matthew's chapters 5, 6 and 7. Three whole chapters uh, that include that one message. And in that extended section of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus spoke to those who were present there with him on the mountainside on that day. And he was talking to them in particular about the way to live. He's also speaking to us. He's speaking to those who continue to hear him as we read the scriptures. He's speaking to us this morning particularly about the way that we're meant to live. And if you listen closely, you might actually hear him say, if you want to follow me, then this is what your life and your choices and your actions will look like. The Sermon on the Mount comes to a close when Jesus distinguishes between true and false prophets, true and false disciples. What he says is this is how you tell the difference between the true and the false. This is how you tell the the difference. The real question is whether we are true followers of Jesus or not. That's what we're talking about this morning. Are we true followers of Jesus or not? So the text this morning, those of you who've got your Bibles with you, uh, open up to chapter 7, 
There's a, there's a fair chunk of text here, so what I've done is I've broken it up. Um, your Pastor Peter is going to read that for us, and he's going to read it section by section as we go through it. But one thing to note about this section is that the whole of it is red-letter words. And we know that because they're red-letter words, we better listen up, because this is the Lord speaking to us. And the start of that section, Matthew, Matthew 7, verse 13, the start of that section is a very familiar story where Jesus says that we need to make a choice between choosing the wide or choosing the narrow, choosing the easy or choosing the hard. So what you're looking at behind me there is an illustration of the narrow gate. doesn't look much like a gate, does it? But let me tell you where it comes from. This is a tunnel underneath the castle gates at St Andrews in Scotland. What happened was the castle there was built in the 1200s and it was built as the place of residence for the Archbishop of St Andrews Cathedral. St Andrews is a cathedral city in Scotland, on the east coast of Scotland. This castle sits on a small cliff overlooking the bay. Now what happened in, in Europe during the 16th century, a couple hundred years later, what happened there was that Martin Luther and a few of his mates started causing problems. That's known as the Reformation. The Reformation soon made the transition across the Channel to the UK and in Scotland in particular. In the middle of the 1500s, tension between Protestant and Catholic forces in the cathedral city of St Andrews reached the peak when the cardinal there, David Beaton, arrested, tortured and executed a guy called George Wishart. Now, Wishart's supporters were upset by that. So what they did was they stormed the castle and they took over the castle. And they held that castle for a full year. That meant that all the people who were meant to be on the inside of the castle were suddenly on the outside of the castle. And they weren't too happy about that. So they decided that they were going to dig a tunnel under the walls to get into the castle. Only trouble was the people on the inside heard them digging. So they decided that it would be really smart if they dug from the other side and they'd meet up somewhere. Um, it wasn't terribly pretty when they did meet up. But when, they did, when these two tunnels did meet up, and this is my friend Ross, he's at the point there where those tunnels meet. Um, when they did meet up, again it was a stalemate. The stalemate was resolved when the French come to the aid of those on the outside. They parked a warship in the bay and fired cannons until they knocked down the walls. One of those people, interestingly, one of those people who were inside the castle at the time was a young man called John Knox. John Knox was captured by the French, taken to France, but he was only there for a short time and he was released. John Knox is known as the leader of the Reformation in Scotland. So the story about the narrow and the wide gate. Thank you, Peter. This is uh, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, biblical scholars have, have pointed to a pattern in these, six, these passages that we're going to look at, and there's five of them. There's a pattern in there, and uh, I've taken the idea from a commentator, R.T. France, 
And so I'm using his pattern, I've modified it, and we're going to use it in a way to help us actually see what the Lord's saying in each of these. Um, so this, this message is going to be more teaching than what it is preaching. So the blue letters, the blue words down the left-hand side of the slide, those are the, uh, the framework that we're going to use. But before we do that, there's, let's make a comment about two of the terms that Jesus uses in this little short, these two verses. He's talking about a gate and he's talking about a road. And he uses those two terms in reference to something that's wide and something that's narrow. And we should realise that when Jesus is speaking like this, he's using those words not in a literal sense, but he's using them as symbols. So the gate, therefore, means the entrance or the entranceway, while the road refers to the journey or to the pathway. Have you got the idea? There's something that we go through to enter into and then we're on a journey. So here, in this section, the contrast is actually between the lost and the saved. It's not hard to grasp what Jesus is saying here, is it? There is a wide road that is easy and many people choose it. On the other hand, there is a narrow gate, but there's only a few people who find that narrow gate. And in each of the sections, there's something that we're meant to hear. In these two verses, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Why? Because it leads to life. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Nothing terribly complicated about that. Because we all know that it's easy to go with the flow. It's easy to follow the crowd. It's easy to keep quiet when someone is being bullied, harassed or discriminated against. It's much harder to do what is right. That's a hard thing, isn't it? All we have to do is watch the news in the evening and consider the events that have been, ha that have been put in the light of public scrutiny in Canberra at the moment. But we've not only got to hear something, there's something that we've got to do. In each of these sections, there's something that Jesus wants us to do. These are the KPIs, if you like. Here, he wants us, in this section, he wants us to choose life. That is one of the key reasons for why he came to earth in the first place. So that his followers might have life and have it to the full and have it in all of its glorious fullness. But there's a warning as well. There's, a, there's talk of a failure. Each section details what failure to hear and do will entail. And the answer here is short, but it's not sweet. Failure to hear and to do leads to destruction. So the outcome of failure to hear and do, what Jesus teaches leads to eternal destruction. Now, some might be tempted to say that that's too harsh because it's inconsistent with the nature of a loving, compassionate God. I'm sorry, but we cannot have it both ways. The contrast in these verses is between the lost and the saved, those who find destruction and those who find life. The contrast, therefore, is between eternal destruction and eternal 
life. The next section is verses 15 to 20. Thanks, Peter. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What we have to remember right here is that Jesus, when he's speaking these words, these words, is sitting on the side of a mountain and he's talking to the very first generation of his followers. He's also speaking through that scripture to every succeeding generation of believers that follow. And so these verses, therefore, warn believers to practice discernment so that they're able to distinguish between false prophets and true prophets. Now, this is crucial because, as Jesus says, false prophets are nothing less than ferocious wolves. They don't care about the sheep. So, beware, all of those who are sheep. In the blink of an eye, they'll tear out your throat and they'll steal your life. Their words do not edify, nor do they encourage. So, the contrast that we're talking about here is between outsiders who are pretending to be insiders. Those ferocious wolves do not belong in the sheepfold. Trust me, I know this stuff. Pam and I used to run sheep in Esperance. Now, while there are no wolves in Esperance, there are plenty of wolves in our society who are trying to infiltrate churches. So we must be on guard against wolves who come dressed up as sheep. Jesus wants believers everywhere to hear this warning, hear this warning about false prophets. Why? Because they are the ones who deceive the faithful and lead them off in a different direction to the way that he's been outlining in this Sermon on the Mount. His warning is about the destructive nature of heresy because heresy always brings division in the church and disunity among believers is not what the Lord desires. So, what are we meant to do? Jesus tells his disciples, the people who are listening to him, he's telling them to check the fruit. Check the fruit of the prophet's life. Why? Because, it's quite simply, bad trees don't produce good fruit. Rather, bad trees produce bad fruit. Let me tell you a quite graphic example of this. When I was in Zambia a couple of years ago, I went to this village church and uh, outside this village church were two magnificent mango trees and they were loaded with mangoes, all about the size of my fist, but they were still bright green. After the service, there was a group of teenage girls that raided the trees and ate the green mangoes. I give thanks to God that I was gone somewhere else by the time that had worked through because it would not have been pretty. 
We should note here, though, that Jesus is not talking about the gift of prophecy that we heard this morning. He's not talking about spiritual gifts. Rather, his warning to be on guard is a warning against the presence of false prophets. Why? Make that distinction. Because true prophecy edifies, while false prophecy is destructive. How do we know the difference? The important clue is found in the book of Revelation where the angel of the Lord says, the spirit of prophecy bears testimony to Jesus. That's how we know. That all true prophecy points to and exalts Jesus. So what happens when there's a failure in this regard? In this section, the tree that Jesus is talking about is a symbol of the person of the prophet, while the fruit is a symbol of the works that the person produces. So according to Jesus then, a tree that fails to produce good fruit is a bad tree. And the bad tree will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The outcome then for false prophets is that they will face eternal destruction because their fruit is as damaging for the body of believers as those green mangoes were for the young girls in Zambia. Verses 21 to 23, thanks Peter. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Thanks, Peter. I should have said before, I'm sorry about this, these slides that are appearing before me, um, feel free to grab your phone and take a photo of them if you want. That's normal practice these days. If you would prefer to receive copies of them by email though, see me afterwards and I'll take you down your email address and, and I'll forward them to you. At this point, Jesus shifts focus. He's shifting his focus from those who are outside to those who are inside. That's why we have the, the contrast here is between insiders who think that they're insiders. He's directing attention to those who are claiming to be followers of the Lord. These are the people who have learned the accepted conventions of religion. They've heard, they've observed, and they've put into practice all the right words. They know what to say, they know when to say it, and they know how to say it. They've even learned the Lord's name. They address Him as Lord, Lord. And what's more, they've practiced, they've, sorry, they've participated in the miraculous, they've practiced miracles, they've prophesied. They have cast out demons and they've even performed many miracles in the name of the Lord. So what's the problem? They did these things in the name of the Lord, but they did not know the Lord. So the contrast here is between false disciples and true disciples. It's the contrast between insiders who think they are insiders, but they're not. Sadly, these folk are deceived. Worse still, they're self-deceived. So the warning here 
is a warning about the day of judgment. Jesus says that at the time of judgment, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. That Jesus fails to acknowledge these folks reveals that they've never acknowledged him. Now we know that because in Romans 10 verse 13 we read that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All those who acknowledge Jesus, Jesus will acknowledge. So when Jesus doesn't acknowledge them, means that they have not acknowledged him. Sure, they said, Lord, Lord. But that phrase is not simply a twice-repeated title. Even if it is the title of someone important, even someone immensely important, no, it's not just a religious formula. Used properly, Lord, Lord is a confession. It's a confession of faith that acknowledges Jesus as the eschatological Lord of all creation. Now, what's really interesting here is that we're only in chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel. There's a long way to go. So, Jesus is speaking here before the crucifixion, before the burial, before the resurrection and before the ascension. That is, he's speaking before all of these events that confirm the reality of the confession of those people who make it. So what are we to do? Jesus clearly states that the kingdom of heaven is for those who do the will of my Father. And elsewhere he says that the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. So what should these pretend insiders do? They should believe in Jesus. They should confess him as Lord, not just use his name as some form of magical signature that makes everything come true. Faith in Jesus and faith through Jesus is not magic. Failure to hear and to do is to risk being banished from Jesus' presence on the day of judgment. Those who do not acknowledge him, who do not believe in the one who was sent by the Father will be told, I never knew you. So the outcome then for those wannabe insiders is to be dismissed to eternal destruction. The next section, verses 24 to 27, Peter is two slides. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. As we come to this section, there's an important change in the, in the way the text has been put together. You see, in all three previous sections, Jesus has given a negative example before introducing a positive example. That is, we talked about the wide gate before the narrow gate. We talked about false prophets before true prophets, 
false disciples before true disciples. Here, that's changed. Jesus changes tact and deliberately places the positive example before the negative. That's no accident. Jesus does that because this is the, he's coming to the point where he brings all of the teaching from three whole chapters of Matthew together into a climactic point of everything that he's taught in the Sermon on the Mount. This point is nothing less than the culminating parable, if you like, the clinching illustration to everything that he says. Not only does he reverse the order, but he starts here by laying stress upon his own words. He says, in verse 24, anyone who hears these words of mine, what he's doing is that he's teaching us, we are meant to grasp that his words, therefore, have the same standing as the will of my Father. Can you see what he's doing? Jesus is actually saying, I have authority to do this. So the contrast here is between the wise and the foolish builders, or between the insiders who hear and obey versus those who do not. So what are we meant to hear? It's pretty clear that Jesus is saying, those who hear and do are wise, while those who do not hear and do not obey are foolish. The important thing to grasp, therefore, is what he's telling us to do. He's saying something really simple. In fact, it's simplicity in the extreme. What he says is, get something solid under your feet. Why? Because it's incredibly, even eternally important that we build on something solid. We don't build on something that's flaky or soft or loose or likely to shift under our feet. Rather, he's saying, build upon the rock. Now, isn't that interesting? What's the rock that he's talking about? Do you remember in chapter 16, you see, when Matthew writes his gospel, he writes it in such a way that it leads us all to the right point. Chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am? Jesus says, that's a great confession. The Lord's revealed that to you. And on that rock, on that confession, I'm going to build my church. So what's the failure? Right now, you and I have a choice. It's pretty blunt, isn't it? We've got a choice. We either hear and obey or we hear and ignore. I'm sorry about that. But Jesus here is actually talking about real reality. This is not a situation where every player wins or a situation where every participant gets a ribbon. No, he's talking about something very different at this point. He's saying that a failure to hear and obey his words means that the house constructed by the foolish builder will fail in the face of the storms of life. The outcome then is total domestic failure. Now, I was thinking about this when I wrote those few words. I may not be a total domestic failure because I love to do the washing and occasionally the ironing. But I have been told by someone who lives in my house 
that my culinary skills are not quite up to speed. (laughs) But this is no joke, is it? In the words of one scholar, what we're faced with right here is a make or break choice with eternal consequences. The outcome of failing to hear and obey is that there will be no house. There will be nowhere to call home. There will be nowhere to live. No way to return, no safety and no sanctuary for eternity. To ignore Jesus' instruction to get something solid under your feet will mean every effort that you make will be for naught. Or to return to the images from earlier section, there will be no good fruit or reward, only destruction. It will not only be total domestic failure, it will be, the result will be total spiritual failure. The final two verses, thanks Peter, verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. These last two verses of the chapter are a summary statement of everything that's gone before in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. And the contrast here is between Jesus and the teachers of the law. You see, the teachers of the law, together with the scribes, were the religious lawyers and teachers of first century Judaism. They were the experts in God's stuff. And yet, here we read that a carpenter from Nazareth was teaching in such a way that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. You see, Jesus taught the crowd in a manner that they had not experienced before and he taught them content that they had not heard before. So it's little wonder that they were amazed. So what is it exactly that the crowds heard that caused their amazement? It was nothing less than the authority with which Jesus spoke. He taught as one who had authority. So the point, of course, is that this finds its most complete expression again later in Matthew's Gospel, right up the end of Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You see that? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is what it means to call him the eschatological Lord of all creation. Why? Because he is the one who has all authority. Can you see? This is the point that he's been driving at for the whole of the three chapters. This is the reason for why Jesus reverses the order of the examples when he's speaking about the wise and the foolish builders. It's the reason he suddenly lays stress upon the importance of listening to these words of mine. Why? Because he has all authorities to speak and to act. And so the outcome then, these summary statements appear at the end of Matthew 7. However, to see the true impact of his teaching from the Sermon of the Mount, we need to just jump to the first verse of the next chapter. And there we read... When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. The people heard what he said 
and the people chose to obey what he said by following him. Just a note to the guys on the sound desk, we're going to skip the next slide. So when we considered the verses dealing with the contrast between true and false prophets, we find that Jesus told us to check the fruit. What he meant was that we should consider the attitude, we should consider the words and the behaviour and the actions of those who presume to speak prophetically. We were to be careful lest some ferocious wolves be allowed to find their way into the sheep pen. Checking the fruit means that we need to discern between those who are true prophets and those who are false. Why? Simply because good fruit does not grow on bad trees and bad fruit does not come from good trees. It became much more difficult, however, when we looked at the contrast between true disciples and false because all of a sudden we're not talking about outsiders, we're actually talking about insiders but insiders who only think they're insiders. Here he's saying it's not enough to pretend, it's not enough to play at being a believer, it's not enough to mimic the culture, it's not enough to mimic the language and the behaviour of others, you are a follower of Jesus if and only if you follow him. Likewise, it's not enough to know about Jesus, you must know him. Jesus is, of course, speaking about the one who does the will of the Father, as distinct from those who merely parrot the phrase, Lord, Lord. So now would be a great time for each of us to take a personal inventory of our lives, to conduct a review of ourselves, if you like. How do I measure up? Am I a true or false follower of the way? It's a question for us today. Am I a true or false follower of the way? How do I know whether I'm doing the will of the Father? Jesus tells us, provides us here with a great touchstone. He says, the work that God requires of us is to believe in the one he sent. Do you believe in the one that the Father has sent for you? If you do, then you're building on the rock. Do you have something solid under your feet? If not, now might be a great time to do something about it. There are leaders present here this morning who are available to talk with you and pray with you after our service. If you would like prayer, then there will be someone available to pray with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for these words that we've heard this morning. We pray, Almighty Father, that you will take those words and you will plant them deep in our hearts and that you will cause our minds to dwell upon the significance of them for the rest of the day, tomorrow, the week to come and the week to follow. Lord Jesus, will you come and be Lord of our lives, we pray, in your holy and perfect and precious name. Amen.
hope you enjoy this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.